0: This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit lakeerichurch.com. Now here's today's message. I want to share my heart with you for just a few minutes today in a way that is reflective of where we have been as a church I will soon. Shelley and I will soon be approaching four years uh, that we have been here. Uh, we started out in an interim uh, kind of relationship with you for a while, and uh, and then in October of that year in 2019, uh, we came on as a permanent pastor. and uh, And so I want to reflect a little bit on where we've been, and I want to project. I want to project a little bit about what the Lord is telling me about the coming year. Uh, This may not be as specific as some people would hope that it would, and more, more specifics and details will probably come in time. But this is where I have landed in the weeks headed toward today. I want to start with a passage of Scripture in the book of Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles and you are, are a device that you read, I want you to turn. It's an Old Testament passage. If you get to Psalms and you make a right hand turn, you're going to run into Habakkuk in a few chapter, few books. It's a small book. You may skip over it, so you'll find it. And when you get to the book of Habakkuk, I want you to turn to chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. I'll just let you remain seated. You'll stand for the scripture maybe a little later, perhaps. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, now the story of Habakkuk is the story of a prophet who was seeking from God guidance and direction about, the, about what he was seeing and what he was sensing, what he anticipated, and he was unclear. And so he sat down and God began to show him and talk to him about The things that God wanted him to know. And in Habakkuk chapter 2. Which is the second of three chapters. In chapter 2 verse 2. The Bible said the Lord answered me. And said record the vision. And inscribe it on tablets. That the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet. For the appointed time it hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. The vision will be accomplished. It will not fail, he says. Though it tarries, though you get weary waiting on it, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. The power of those words are in the fact that God would not lie. He would not tell you something that is not true. And if he says that the vision will be accomplished, it will. If he says it will not delay, it will not delay. If he says you wait for it, it will come, it will come. And it's a reminder to you and I that God is faithful To fulfill his assignment in our life. He's faithful to complete what he started. Paul said to the Philippian church, He who began a good work in you, he will finish it. Now sometimes it feels like that God has lost track of where we are. It feels like that our life is off the rails. It feels like that the things that are occurring could certainly never be God's will for our life. And we all struggle at times with things that we don't understand. But God said, the assignment, the vision, it will be accomplished. It will in fact occur. I've been thinking about the idea of the mission of our church. The mission of our church. It's not really the mission of our church, actually. It shouldn't be. But it's actually the mission of God. It's God's mission that we embrace, that we accept, that we partner with, and we align ourselves to the mission of God. So what, in fact, is the mission of God? Well, as I, as I prayed about it, I felt strongly that God impressed upon me that these two verses embody the mission of God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The mission of God is that every person on the face of the earth would be saved. The mission of God is that every person on the face of the earth would know that Jesus died for them. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning with verse 9 Peter says you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. (coughs) Excuse me. God's holy possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm going to read that again. As a result of what? that we're chosen, that we're priests unto God, that we're a holy nation, that we are God's own special possession. (coughs) As a result of that, he says, you can show the praises of God, the goodness of God. You can demonstrate to people the goodness of God. Why? Because he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once Once you had no identity as a people, Now you are the people of God. Once you received no mercy, now you have received mercy. The mission of God is that every person would be saved. And the mission of God is that every person who is saved will tell others how to be saved. It is the mission of God that every person in this room who claims to be a believer of Jesus Christ becomes an ambassador of the Lord in the world. How many people that know you know that you are a believer? Would it surprise anybody in your circle that you are a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, at Lake Erie, we have for many years, I don't even know when this started. Some of you could probably help me. But we have embraced what we call our commitment to loving God and loving people. In fact, when when we were at Antioch, it was on a banner on the back, on the banister at the top. Loving God, loving people. I looked at it every Sunday as I stood in the podium. To preach loving God, loving people. I even did a series one time on what it means to love God and love people. Since we have come here, we have also embraced the idea that generations matter. We've identified six different generations that are part of this agreement that we all have that we love all people. Of all shapes, all sizes, all colors, all origins. We love all people because God loves all people. And it's our mission. And both of those, loving God, loving people, generations matter, they both align to what I call the mission of God out of John three sixteen and 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. That we have embraced this idea that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and we were one of them. And because God has saved us, we have this responsibility to tell others about it. So for the past three plus years, Shelly and I have worked very hard. We've done our very best. We haven't made everybody happy. We haven't done everything right. But we have worked with a conviction that we are responsible to help people come to know Jesus with compassion toward lost people. We have this responsibility to lead our church, to finish the Great Commission, to do the work that God has sent us to do. Some of you have been around long enough, you'll remember this. I put this up on the screen for you. The six big rocks. You remember that when we first started? We said there were six big rocks that we needed to move here at Lake Erie. We said we wanted to raise up a new generation of leaders. We said we wanted to expand our existing facility. Maybe we need to change that now to improve. We have already expanded it. We needed to create a long-term financial strategy. We needed to create a culture of discipleship. We needed to improve hospitality and assimilation to another level. We needed to reinvent children's ministry. In no particular order, all six equally important. And with the exception of number four, we've done pretty good. We haven't gotten everything done that we wanted to get done. We haven't finished everything that we hoped to get done. In fact, the elders are meeting Monday night and we're going to be talking about our priorities in 2023. There are things that we still need to get done. But in the 322 days since we had our first service here, we've done pretty well with those things. And we've made some progress in some of those areas. You may remember two years ago, Shelly and I stood on the stage and we talked about the kind of church that we wanted to pastor we said we wanted to pastor a church of all generations we didn't want to just be a young church we didn't want to just be an old church we wanted a church of all generations we wanted fat people and thin people we wanted skinny people we wanted funny people we wanted people that were difficult we wanted all people and all of you kind of hit in those categories somewhere We wanted to be a church of all generations. And I know sometimes that there can be a feeling that your generation's being left out. And if they are, it's not on purpose. We want all generations. I can't can't be the pastor without Don Tyree. I need that generation. I need the, the seniors, I need that ministry. That's why I try to stay connected. I try to listen to what they say. I also need the life and energy and vitality of the thirst ministry. I come on Wednesday nights and I just want to soak up the energy that's in that room. I want to be close enough to those kids that that youthful excitement stays in my heart and my life. I need need the wisdom of of the middle-aged men and women in this church who are smart, who understand life, who've been around the curve enough to know where the traps in life are. In fact, I said to someone the other day, I said, if I step into a cow pile, it's your fault. He said, why? I said, because you know where the cow piles are in this church. Don't let me make a mistake. Don't let me step into something that I don't have to step into if you warn me of that. And you protect me of that. We said we wanted to be a church without walls. We wanted to be a church with an outreach mindset that sees ministry outside the building as more valuable and more necessary. That we would be a church called as a people to be connected to the community. We're trying to do this with our missions outreach. We're going to be adding a new missions project in in Mozambique this year. We are networking already with churches around the United States. Here's what I'm saying. We want to be a church with a conviction that every person on the planet deserves to know that Jesus died for them. How many of you would agree with that? The rest of you are awake? Are you awake? Every person on on the planet deserves to know that Jesus died for them. And whatever responsibility I have, whatever responsibility we have as a church corporately to ensure as much as we can You probably have already noticed, maybe you didn't, but as you go out the doors, you're going to see these large water bottles uh, that have been prepared. Uh, Abby Fellenstein has been integral in helping me do this. But out there's a a jug, and we're going to be asking, we're we're calling it Your Change Can Change the World. If you're like me, I've always got, you know, quarters and nickels and stuff, and I don't like to keep them in my pocket, and I drop them in my car. I I drove Betty's car the other day. She's got $175 in quarters in that little thing down there on the side. She's never cleaned that out since she bought that car. But your change can change the world. Dropping some coins in that will help us in the the work that we're going to try to do in Mozambique. But here's the point. We want to be a church without walls. We don't want it to be us. We don't want to be afflicted with insideritis. We don't want it to be just about us. We don't want it to be about what we feel. We want to be instruments of God, full of His Spirit, and proclaiming the gospel and taking our message wherever God gives us an open door to take it. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church, we uh, we said that day, Shelly and I said, we want to be a church for lost people. We want to be a, a church where lost people can come. And be a part of it. Over the last two years, we have documented 92 people that have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we've baptized 30 of them in this past year. So what does that all mean? It means that for weeks I have wrestled with what this message should be and how it should be conveyed. Typically there's three points in a poem. Typically there's a couple of things that are said to strike at the very nerve of our heart and the expectation that you have week after week about what's going to be coming from the podium. But God has somehow gotten my attention. And I've been pondering this question now for days and days that if we go forward in the future and we look back in in, the year is 2024 and we are talking about what 2023 was about. And we're reflecting back. Somebody's here, myself or someone else is saying, this is what happened in 2023. It is my hope and my prayer that we are with great joy saying in 2023, Lake Erie Church was obsessed and mobilized for the lost people of our community. I love our building. I love the space. I love the things that we do. But more than anything else, I pray that we will be mobilized as a church for the lost people in our community. Listen to this. 66,000 people die every day in this world without Jesus. 3,000 people are going to go into eternity without Jesus Christ as their Savior while you are sitting here in this church service today. 3,000, 66,000 every day. Multiply that times a month. Multiply that times a year. Millions of people are dying without Jesus. You say, well, I I, I don't think I can get my mind around 66,000 people around the world. Well, how about this? How many lost people are there in Lake County? Where you live, where you work, where you go to school. How many lost people? Gigi, how many lost people in your school? How many lost people at the factory where you work? How many lost people on the school bus that you ride? How many lost people at the supermarket where you shop? How many lost women at the place where they fix your hair? How I many lost people at the tractor supply store? Here's what the statistics tell me. There are 232,000 plus people who live and reside as their primary residents in Lake County. In the most recent census that was done, which would have been in 2020, in that most recent census, of people in Lake County said they had no religious preference or faith. That means that half of the people that you meet don't know Jesus. It means if there are 20 people in your factory, there's a good chance 10 of them don't know Christ. If there are 20 students in your class, there's a good chance 10 of them don't know the Lord. You go to your kid's soccer game, half the people standing out there don't know Jesus. When I was sharing this with someone the other day, recently, somebody said, well, that number is a little deceptive because even those numbers, you probably have people that profess religion but don't really have a relationship with Christ. We live in a harvest of lost people. How many lost people do you actually know? If I just stop and put you on the spot, could you, how, many, how many lost people do you know? Start with your husband, your daughter, your son, your neighbor, your mom, your dad. But then go further and think about the people that you talk to, the people you're texting with all the time, the people that you are doing work for, the people that you call friends, the people that are at the gym with you. How many of them do you know that are not Christians? How many of them know that you're a Christian? You see, there's this there's this thing that we do. I'll say more about it at the end. But a lot of you don't have friends. You don't have friendships with sinners. You know, I, I remember as a boy growing up, we, we had this, I mean, we were always preaching about we need to come out of the world. We need to come out of the world. And we did. We came so far out of the world, we don't even know any sinners. We don't even know anybody that doesn't know Christ. And we don't know how to talk to people that don't know Christ. And Some of that's on me. Some of that's on Shelly. We have to do a better job in helping you be prepared to talk to people that don't know Christ. The Billy Graham Association says every believer in the world knows at least five people who are lost. Five people that are lost. I want you to take your card out that I just gave you or you were given. I want you to write the names of five people that you know that are lost. I'm going to wait on you. If you're watching me online, I would encourage you to get a piece of paper, write down the names of five people that you know that are not followers of Jesus. Five people that do not know Jesus. people that I do business with, that I hang around, that I'm involved with, that I know. I'm not sure they know Jesus. I'm not asking you to be judge and jury. I'm just saying that based on what you know, what you believe, they probably don't know Christ. And it may be uncomfortable because you want to write the name of the person that's sitting beside you. I understand that. And that's part of what we're trying to do today is to just raise our awareness to this idea that we know people that do not know Christ. You're writing five names of people that you know that do not know the Lord. 232,000 people in Lake County at least half of them, demographically, we believe, do not know Christ. And so I'm sitting in my office this morning and I'm looking at those numbers and realizing at this moment here, you're probably going, I don't know what in the world I can do with that. And we're not that big a church. We don't have that many, we don't have that many opportunities. How, would we, how could we be responsible for 116,000 people that don't know Christ in Lake County? I was remembering a story I heard many years ago. I don't know if it's true or not. Man's walking along on the beach and the storm has washed up a whole bunch of starfish. And now the sun has come out and they're getting baked in there and they're dying because they can't get back to the water. The man reaches down and he picks up the first one and he throws it back into the ocean and he picks up the next one and he throws it in the ocean. The man observes what he's doing and he says to him, he said, you don't honestly think you're going to be able to save all of these fish, do you? The man reached down and picked up another one and threw it and as he threw it, he said, no, I can't save all of them, but I just saved that one. We're probably not going to be able to save all 160,000. But we might be able to be responsible for your uncle coming to Christ." We might make it possible for your neighbor to give his heart to the Lord. We might be able to be used of God so that your girlfriend or your boyfriend could come to Jesus, your daughter, your son. We might be able to see, become a church where sinners could be comfortable enough that they would just walk in and be exposed to the encounter with Jesus Christ. It would make a difference for them. You know, that happened here one Sunday. I don't know if you know the story, but on the Sunday that Pastor Dustin preached and we had, he called it a fire tunnel. I'd never heard it called that before, but he had a fire tunnel and we were praying for people. A man was driving by the church in his pickup truck and he said, the Lord said, stop, go in that church. He came in, he said, there was just chaos everywhere, people all over the place. So he just stood over there against the wall and he saw a line that was forming on that wall and he got in that line. And Ed Johnson was walking up that line and just praying for people and he got to that guy and he said something like, hey buddy, didn't recognize him. He said, are you visiting? He said, yes. He said, "What, What are you in the line for? He said, I'm not sure. And Ed said, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? He said, I don't. I said, well, then you can. And Ed prayed with him and he accepted the Lord and came down here and Dustin prayed for him. And he now attends our church. You see, we can't save everybody. We can't reach everybody. So I said to the Lord, what are we supposed to do? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 beginning with verse 25. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the whole story to you. One day an expert in religious law stood up to to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, right, Jesus told him, do this and you shall live. The man wanting to justify his actions asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant. Now, let me just stop a second and tell you this. A priest was the person who advocated for you to God. Jesus is not playing here. He's serious when he's telling this story. He said, The first guy, this man, the first man that had a chance to help this guy was the man whose job it was to advocate for him to God. But he didn't have time. And then he says, A temple assistant. That's somebody who worked for the church. Somebody who served at the church, a volunteer, a team leader, a a staff member. A A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed him by on the other side. He didn't have time. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two coins and telling him, said, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one that showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. And I feel like the Lord showed me for our church. This this, this parable speaks to Lake Erie Church this morning. So don't move, don't run out, don't go anywhere. Just sit here for a second. I won't be much longer. But there's three things here that the Lord gave me to tell you out of this story. So we have a man that has been attacked by someone. He's laid in the ditch and he's struggling. and He needs help. The first guy that comes by is a guy that should have had time because that's the only thing he's there for, is to advocate for people to God. He's too busy. He's too preoccupied with whatever he was doing. And the second man is a guy that works for the church, and he was too busy. He didn't have time. He had a position at the church. You know, maybe he's a youth pastor. Maybe he's an elder. Maybe he's a staff member. Maybe he's a secretary. Maybe he's a worship leader. Maybe he's a song leader. Maybe he's a drummer. Maybe he's a guitar player. Maybe he's on hospitality. Maybe he runs sound. He's a temple assistant. He works at the church. He's too busy. Until a man came by. Now the significance of it being a Samaritan is that the Jews hated Samaritans. It'd be like, listen, don't nobody fall out and don't send me no letters, but here's the deal. It would be like a white supremacist being helped by a black man. They hated him. They hated him. The Samaritans didn't want any, the Samaritans wanted to be a part, but the Jews had nothing to do with him. And, and so it was that the Samaritan was the one that had time. Now, Jesus is driving home a key point, and that is that regardless of who we are, where we are, where we've been, what we've done, we have a responsibility to help our neighbor. so there's three things here. Here's the first thing. The man was engaged. He was engaged. He came by. He saw the man in trouble. He got off of his beast, and he went down there, and he got engaged. Now, that kind of engagement is different than just saying, hey, brother, I'll pray for you. No, he got involved. These other Christians just went by and never stopped. This man stopped his agenda, got off of his beast, and went down to help the man. I'm telling you, engagement with lost people requires sacrifice. If you want to see people saved, if you want to be involved with people who need Jesus, you have have to engage yourself. You have to get involved. You have to pray. You have to build relationships. You have to invest yourself into the situation in the right way so that you can demonstrate the love and the acceptance of Jesus Christ to people that are lost. There is so much in this world where you and I work that handicaps that because people have been so turned off by religious hypocrites. They've been so turned off by people that claim to love Jesus and then live and act like the devil. And because of that, whenever the name of Jesus comes up, people just go on the defensive. And you don't always have that opportunity that you should have to tell people about the Lord. And you have to accept that. You have to understand that's the world that you are. And you have to be able to demonstrate love and acceptance. I penciled this question. I don't have an answer. Could it be that some people will never come to Lake Erie to hear about Jesus or any other church for that matter because they don't believe they would be accepted by Christian people? Here's another question that I've written that I don't have an answer for, but it's a powerful question. Somebody needs to answer this question. Is it possible that you can belong at Lake Erie? Now, when I say belong, I'm not talking about what Steve Warren just did. That's an official you know, official connection to the organization. You're officially aligning yourself. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But can a person belong, can they fit in in a church before they believe or behave? Do you have the kind of church that allows people to belong that they could say it's their church before they believe, before they behave? Can can it be a community where people can say, I haven't got it all worked out yet. I don't have my faith thing worked out. I don't even know if I'm a believer, but I belong there. I'm connected there. Listen to this verse of Scripture, so powerful, Romans chapter 5. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed His love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners we belonged before we believed we were accepted before we accepted him we became part of his family before we ever believed because he chose to he decided that he would accept us and we have that responsibility second thing is he was invested he not only tended to the man's wounds, but he took him to a nearby inn. He allowed himself to be inconvenienced. And not only did he allow himself to be inconvenienced, but he paid the cost himself. Now in the past two years, in the past two years, we have seen 92 people accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior excited about that some of them are sitting right here today some of them are attending other churches and some of them for whatever reason drifted away and and did not follow through it happens and I'm saying to us as a church we're not responsible for the decisions that people make about their salvation or their faith I can't make you serve God. I can't make you read your Bible. I can't make you pray. You have to make those choices for yourself. And if any of you are new believers, you know what Brother Isaac, Pastor Isaac has said. I've said to you over and over, five verses of scripture, five minutes of prayer every day. I'm encouraging you to take those steps, those next steps forward. If you've made a confession of faith, you've probably met Billy Walter or Michelle Lewis and they've given you information and made a contact. They can't make you serve God. They can't make you take the next step. You have to take that for yourself. But we are responsible. We are responsible for helping people to take those next steps. We are responsible for providing resources. We are responsible for discipling people. Now, we have not historically done that well at Lake Erie Church. If everybody that had given their heart to the Lord at Lake Erie in the last 56 years had been discipled well, my gosh we would need a building four times this large. There have been literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have accepted Jesus and for whatever reason never took that next step, never made that next step. And we have to do better. I'm saying that as your pastor. I'm openly confessing to you we've not done well at that. We have to do better. We have to understand that the Great Commission not only charges us Matthew chapter 28, it not only charges us to preach the gospel, but it tells us that we are to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. What does that mean? It means that as a church, we have to establish friendships with new believers. Pay attention. If you have been saved in the last five years, you have made a public confession of faith in the last five years, I want you to hold your hand up. Okay, Just hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up. All right, now just keep it up just a second. I want you to look around the room. I want you to f- figure out, are you friends with any of these people? Hold, hold it up. If you're a new believer, five years, hold it up. All of my regular folks, are you, are you friends with any of these folks? Because, see, every new believer needs a friend to be connected to. Discipleship is more than reading a book. It's more than going to a class. We haven't done that very well here. It's more than classes and teaching. It's friendship. It's a brother. It's a sister walking alongside with you, helping you to figure out how to walk with the Lord. It's a teenage boy in this church who, going through a battle, sought me out Wednesday night during the youth group, asked me a question that stayed with me for days, and I caught him last night at Repeat the Sounding Joy. And I said, Let's talk about where we are. Let's walk at That's what discipleship is. Let's figure out what's happening here. Let's, let's find our way there. It's about building friendships with people that do not know the Lord. Every mature believer, every person hearing me that has been saved longer than five years, you should be friends with at least one new believer. You should have a friendship. You should be talking to them and helping them and encouraging them. Here's the question. Can God trust Lake Erie Church with lost people? years ago I was sitting in the sanctuary at Antioch and I was talking to God very openly and I said to God I said I don't understand why lost people aren't coming to our church I don't know why lost people aren't coming to our church God we've been weeks we haven't seen anybody get saved and I don't know any lost people that are even coming and I just felt so strong and the Lord said well you're not preaching about Jesus and services aren't about me and it, it occurred to me, God's not going to send sinners to a church that are not about Jesus. Why did He send His sinners over here so we can brag on ourselves and make it about us? He's not going to do it. If the service is about Jesus, if the songs are about Jesus, if the prayers are about Jesus, the Holy Spirit's going to drive them there because the Holy Spirit is about helping people see Jesus. So I decided that we would start preaching about Jesus more. We would give opportunity for sinners every Sunday that we possibly could. And guess what? Sinners started coming back to our church. We started seeing unbelievers start coming to church. People saying, hey, this is my neighbor. And they would give their heart to the Lord. We have to make it about Jesus. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw people to me. I want to be a church. Listen to me. I want to be a church that God can trust. With lost people. I'll say more about that to finish. Here's here's one last question before we get to the final point. Will God trust me? Will God trust you with somebody the Holy Spirit is drawing to faith? In the heavens. I'm just going to use Kurt as an example. God's drawing Kurt. He's moving in Kurt's life. Kurt has an openness to salvation. He's open to the gospel. Does the Holy Spirit say, you know what? I can trust Bill Isaacs with Kurt's heart. Or does God say, I can't afford for him to get involved with that person because they will drive him away. Their language, their behavior, their attitude will drive them away. If, If sinners are not a part of your life, if lost people are not a part of your life, you have to ask yourself, why isn't the Holy Spirit trusting me with lost people? And I know that land's hard. But there is a reason if the Holy Spirit is not putting lost people in your path, there's a reason. Why is the Holy Spirit not trusting me with lost people? Here's the third and final point. The man was committed He didn't just do something to make himself feel good and then get disconnected. How many times in the name of Jesus have we given people a token commitment? We engage with them and then we disconnect and we leave them. We pray with them around the altar, but then they're gone. Sometimes we don't even stay in the altar with them. We pray for a moment and then we walk away. This man was committed. He was so committed that he took this man to the to the inn and he says to the innkeeper, I'm not only committed today, I'm committed for the long haul. So if his bill gets higher than what I'm giving you right here, I'm coming back. You won't have to chase me. I'm committed to the experience. I'll pay whatever it cost. So here's the question What does it cost, Lake Erie Church? To be a home for lost people. What does it cost for Lake Erie. To be a home for lost people. Does it mean that we change the worship format. Does it mean we change our music style. Does it mean we change our budget process. Does it realign and reorganize our congregational priorities. What would it take. For Lake Erie Church to be a home for sinners. How far would we be willing to go to see lost people come to Jesus? Now look, I get it. I've been around a long time. Nobody likes change. Nobody likes change. You know, I I said one time to the staff, I said, I think I'm going to start the service off. I'm going to preach first and then we're going to worship. And somebody said, well, you can just get ready. Lake Erie people don't like change. And I flinched, and we've never done that, of course. I don't know that that would have been a problem, but anyway, whatever it is, we don't like change. We don't like things to be different. And I get that point because we we like the opportunity of knowing that we're coming to church every Sunday, we're going to see the same people, and it feels comfortable to us because there's a a common here. It happens the same way. It's dependable. We know what to expect. But what if it's keeping people away from Jesus? And I'm not saying that it is, but I'm just simply saying, would we be open if there was something that we said, hey, that's that's probably keeping people away from the Lord. So a friend of mine pastors in the mountains of Georgia, Cleveland, Georgia. He went to that very traditional church of about 100 people and he said, man, we just we couldn't connect. Our people in the community just saw our church as some old, old church that nobody could connect to. We didn't have any young families. We didn't have any kids. Just, just us. We just had church. We loved it. We had great church. People would just shout and sing and praise the Lord. It was all wonderful. But nobody was being born in the kingdom of God. We weren't baptizing anybody. And we started making a few changes in the church and just uproar went up. People went crazy. Started telling us they were going to leave the church because you know we were doing three songs instead of four or whatever it was, you know. He said, So one Sunday morning I handed everybody out a piece of paper and I said, I want you to write on the piece of paper everything that you hope never changes about this church. And he said, When you get done, I want you to bring it up to me. Write down everything you hope never changes about the church. He said, now before you walk up here, I want you to look at the list of things you wrote down and I want you to circle the ones that you would be willing to change if your family member could come to Christ. And he said, the woman that was giving me the most trouble in that church, she was the first one to come up. She shuffled up to the front and she had her little piece of paper and she said, preacher, I put 19 things on my list that I hope we never change in this church. she began to cry and she said, but I circled every one of them because I'd change every one of them if it meant my granddaughters would come to Jesus. We don't like change, but do we love us more than we love sinners? I'm going to finish by telling you that I serve, come on, Brother Jerome, if you would, I serve as the chairman for a large drug and alcohol recovery program in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I've been chairman of that board for the last 11 years. And from time to time, I drive over and, and I uh, visit or I do business, as the case may be. And most often the time when I go, they will put a little program together for me they always have two or three of the clients who will give their testimony of what the lord has done in their life and we just started a program for women who who have babies because a lot of times women who are addicted won't come to a recovery program because they have no way to take care of their children so we've now got a wing of that facility that mothers can bring their children with them and and they and we I was listening to the testimonies of that and I I We finished up, and I'm walking down the hallway to the lunchroom where we're going to do dinner, and I heard the whisper of the Lord in my spirit. And I heard three words. This is redemption. What I just witnessed was redemption. Men and women addicted to heroin, meth, alcohol, pornography, whatever else it was, redeemed. Set free. given new life. This is redemption. And so last night as I was wrapping up my thoughts, I had this moment with the Lord there at my desk, and I thought, you know, those of us that have been saved for a while, we have a tendency to take redemption for granted. For some of you, it's been so long since God saved you, you don't even remember what you felt like the night God saved. And I'm not fussing about that. I'm just telling you, it's just the way it is. It's been so long that you forgot the euphoria of knowing that your sins had been forgiven. The alcoholic, the, the addicted person who is gloriously redeemed of God feels the weight of sin. The old-timers just called it, the weight of sin rolled off their shoulders. There is a philosophy in church growth that's called redemption and lift. And what it simply means is is that you have a person that when God saves them, maybe maybe they're a a drinker and they've spent all their money on booze and their family has suffered, the wife has suffered, the children have suffered. But once they give their heart to the Lord and they're no longer putting their money into alcohol, then what happens is they, they start paying their tithes, they start doing better with their family. And and God begins lifting them up. They get a better house, they get a better job, they get a better car, and they get lifted up. And what happens if you're not careful is you forget what kind of person you were before God saved you. And you start looking at other drunks as if they ought to know better. And you forget that that's who you once were. I don't want that to happen. Old Testament prophets said, Lord, don't let me forget the rock from which I was hewn, or in which I was brought out, the pit from which you dug me. I don't want to ever forget that I was lost, but now I'm found. I don't want us to ever take communion so for granted that we forget that we are celebrating the day that Jesus died for our sins. I want to be a church that is completely, completely mobilized for lost people. I want there to be an obsession. And and I know that sounds crazy, but I do. I want it to be something we talk about because we can't get it out of our head. We're obsessed with how can we win more people to Jesus. 116,000 lost people in Lake County. That number won't mean anything unless one of them is your husband, your uncle, your brother, your dad. Don't you think those people deserve to know Jesus? What if the Holy Spirit is giving Lake Erie a chance in 2023 to be that kind of church? We'll have to make some adjustments. You may not be able to sit in the same seat that you're sitting in. You may have to sit in a different place. We may have to add more seats to the room. We may may have to reconfigure the room. We may have to reorganize the way we do. I don't know. I'm just saying obsession for people to come to. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.